Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, really an honor to be here with you. Uh, I do come from Lancaster. It's about as different a climate and kind of uh, geography as you can get from here. It is the desert. Everything is brown. And uh, we get 360 days of sun per year. So, yeah, we, we like hide from the sun. You know, it's, it's, uh, that's what we do uh, because it's so intense. But uh, it's great to be here in the, in the... I know this is like a heat wave for you, but we're loving the cool weather, uh, Joshua and I. We're just <laughs> loving it. Um, but a little bit about uh, me and my story. I'm, I'm married. I've got four kids under five. So you could pray for me, yeah? My wife is a saint uh, for allowing me to come on this trip. Uh, her parents did fly in from Ohio to help her while I'm, I'm here. Um, but uh, I grew up in the Desert Vineyard. My parents founded that church, and we, uh, the church is 41 years old. And my dad pastored it for 16 years, and then a man named David Parker took it over, and he pastored it for 24 years. And then a year ago, I took over the church from David, and it was a little bit surreal because I had, I had moved away, I had, you know, kind of, I mean, I, I, was, I was gone for, I think, 17 years or something like that, and then God uh, kind of... Uh, tapped me on the shoulder and, and uh, moved me back there, and, and now I've taken over uh, the church. And, and so it is a, it's a lovely church. It's a great uh, church to get to, to serve in, um, but I, I think I'm, I'm still coming to terms that the kind of my childhood church, I'm kind of back there again, and now I'm leading it. And so uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, that, that's just a little bit about me, but it's really great uh, to be here with you today and, and to get to, to open up God's word together. Um, so I want to talk to you today about a, 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 you know, a topic that, that uh, I think is a difficult one for, for many of us. You know, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we don't really have to learn how to be discontent, right? That's not really something that you, you know, I mean, kids are, are born with the ability to let you know when they're not happy with something, right? At least my kids are. Uh, that, that it's not, I don't have to teach them to say, okay, when you're upset about something, cry to let me know that you are hungry or, or you're not satisfied with the position that I'm holding you in. Discontent is something that we just come out of the womb knowing how to be discontent about things that don't make us happy. Uh, but the more that we practice discontentment, the better that we get at it. And so, so the more things that, you know, like kind of the garden variety, normal level of discontent is when something bad happens in your life that you, your response is discontentment, right? I, I had something bad happen and so my, my mood is affected and, and I'm, I'm, I'm mad about it. I'm upset about it. But, 
but you know, there's, there's some really high performers among us, some really outstanding uh, people at discontentment. And that's where, where you kind of cross over into like, even something good can happen in your life and you're still discontent. You're still pointing out the bad things about the good thing that happened to you. You're still going, yeah, but I bet it's not going to last, right? It's going to get taken away at any moment. I mean, some of us just have that ability to, even when good things happen, that we can be discontent. So, so discontentment is easy, and we get better and better at it. But what's difficult for us is to learn contentment, to learn how to actually be content in our life, whatever our life looks like. That's what we're going to learn from, from the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at uh, the book of Philippians, his letter to the Philippian church that, that he wrote. And in, in chapter four of that letter, he, he addresses, he uses it as a little bit of a teaching moment to talk about contentment because this is a guy that operated with a profound level of contentment in his life. And it wasn't just because he had this uh, blessed, miraculous life that he you know, just went from like amazing experience to amazing experience. It, it came from somewhere else. And, and he's gonna show us some things about contentment and the way that it works that are really important that we, that we understand uh, so that we can try to press into this, that we can try to reach for something. And my hope is that, that all of us would reach for something today toward contentment. You know, whether you're, you might be here coming and you're sort of checking out church and, and trying to move toward Jesus, trying to discover who he is. And I'm hoping that, that what Paul is going to say to us today from Philippians is, is going to offer a, a kind of a picture and a glimpse of what might be possible as you move your life toward Jesus. Some of you maybe have been following Jesus for a long time and, and yet still, you know, like I am, struggle with discontentment. And, and I'm hoping for all of us that there's going to be something here for us to press toward, to reach toward, because Jesus has more for us. The, the way that I would define contentment, Christian contentment, is that our soul is satisfied in Jesus. That we come to a place of saying, okay, my soul is satisfied in Jesus. And so, even if other things in my life are not satisfying or even dissatisfying, the deepest parts of me are so satisfied and in love with Jesus that I'm content. That, that Jesus is so much higher than the next level down of things that I'm, I'm going to to find my joy, my happiness, my contentment. That Jesus is so much higher that my soul really can find satisfaction in him. So we're going to look at this text from, from Paul to kind of learn how this, this works a little bit. To set this up, Paul is, uh, you know, so, so he's a guy that, that you know, didn't start out as a, as a Christian, didn't start out as a follower of Jesus. He was a Jew and was, you know, kind of so radical about uh, his, his Judaism that, that when people started following Jesus, uh, he was so offended by that that he started persecuting Christians in the church. And so until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, totally turned his life around and he becomes this follower of Jesus, starts preaching the gospel, starts planting churches, and then starts writing letters to the churches, many of which that he had planted all over the Mediterranean world. And, and so this is a guy that, that comes from cynicism, from kind of the rules-based uh, pharisaical Judaism, and, and he has this massive conversion to this relationship with Jesus, and he learns something along the way about contentment. In Philippians, 
He's in this, in this portion that we're going to read, he's writing in this portion to say thank you because the Philippian church has provided a gift for him. He's in prison and through this guy Epaphroditus, they've given him a gift. And so he's writing in this part to say thank you for that gift, but he's going to do it in a curious way. He's going to do it in a way that, that kind of, he recognizes it's a teaching moment to say, hey, thanks for this gift, though I didn't really need it. Because I've discovered contentment. So let's look at what he says. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along, but it'll also be on the screens here uh, behind me. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Okay, so it's a curious way of saying thank you for a gift, right? Hey, thank you for this gift. I'm so glad that you renewed your concern for me and sent me a gift. But let me tell you something about what I've learned about contentment. I've learned to be content in need and in plenty, right? And he's using this as a teaching moment for them and for us. Because contentment, we need to be taught this because it is unnatural to be content. It feels completely counterintuitive. Like, like normally, bad stuff happens in life and our response is negative. Like, I can't believe that happened. Good stuff happens in our life. We're like, oh, wonderful. Something great happened to me in my life, right? And our, our mood rises and falls based on all of the circumstances of our life. And Paul is, is showing us something that cuts directly across from that. And he says, no, there's a way of living where you actually can be content even if you haven't received what you so desperately want, okay? Even if you're a parent that, that's, uh, you know, a, a, a married couple that so wants to be parents and that you haven't had kids yet, Paul is saying you can, there's a way of dealing with that pain and that suffering but having contentment. If you're single, you desperately want to be married and you haven't had a date in three years, there's a way of walking through that with contentment. You can't pay all of your bills, you're drowning in debt, you know, in financial ruin. There's a way of walking through that with contentment. And what I'm hoping today is that we're gonna learn something that, that helps move that from, the, I mean, that's kind of one of those kind of Bible platitudes. One of those things that you hear in church and you go, yeah, yeah, but then you, you go back into your life and you're overwhelmed by all of your problems. I'm hoping that there's something here for us in this text that might penetrate a little bit deeper into our real life about how contentment can take hold inside of us. We're going to learn three things that Paul is, is laying out in this text that I, I want to point out to you. Number one, contentment is something learned, not achieved. It's something that you have to learn, okay? And, and I, don't, I can't speak for, for Northern Irish people, but let me just speak. You know, in America, we don't think about contentment this way. We think about contentment as something that's sort of just beyond my reach. Oh, if I just had more, a little bit more of the thing that I want in my life, then I would be content. It's always kind of the, the, the carrot is just a little bit further out on the stick, and we're going, oh, if I just had that, then I would be content. Uh, but... It doesn't actually work that way. 
Because the, the more that we get of the things that we want, honestly, the further that carrot gets of contentment, further away from us. Economists refer to this as the hedonic treadmill, okay? You're pursuing something and it's really, you're just running on a treadmill because you're not, you're not getting forward any, anymore. Uh, you know, when, when, when uh, Americans are asked, how much money do you need to be content, to be happy? What's it going to take? Interestingly, across the board, every single income bracket says the exact same thing. About 20% more. If I had 20% more, you know, uh, then I would be happy. Then I would have what I need. And, you know, it, once, once the basics are covered, once you have, like, food and shelter and health care, if you have that covered, it doesn't matter if you're making... 20,000 pounds a year or 200,000 pounds a year or more, everybody, when they're asked that question, they go, yeah, I really just need 20% more. That would get it done for me. There was a study that was done uh, back in uh, 1978 where they took a, a large group of people that were between the ages of 30 and 44 years old. And they showed them this big list of, of like big ticket items, okay, that, that you kind of want in your life. Things like a house, uh, you know, foreign travel, a car, a swimming pool, you know, all this like big stuff. And they go, okay, how many of these things do you have right now? And the average person at that point had 2.5 of the items on the list, okay? And they said, how many of these things do you need uh, to really be happy? And the people said, we need 4.3, okay? So, so they had 2.5 of these things. They go, I, I need 4.3 to really be living the good life, to be happy. Okay, so then 16 years go by, and they check back in with this same group of people, and they ask them the same question. And now at this point, uh, in 1994, the people are between the ages of 45 and 59 years old at this point, and when they ask them, how many of these things do you have? Not surprisingly, they have more stuff at this point, okay? So, so now everybody had an average of 3.2 of the things on the list, okay? And, and then they asked them, how many things on the list do you need to be happy, to be living the good life? And people responded, well, now we need 5.4 to feel like we're really happy, right? The, the, the gap went from when they were younger, they were 1.8 things away from, from happiness, okay? But then, 16 years later, when they have more stuff, now they're 2.2 things away from being happy. The gap increased the more stuff that they had, right? This is how it works. If we think that contentment is, oh, if I just made a little more money, if I just had a little bit better of a house, if my kids could just be in a little bit better of a school, if I had a, a better car, then I would be content in my life. If I could just pay all my bills, it would, then I'd be fine. Then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. No, right? It just doesn't work like that. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, and it's, it's as true today as it was for him a couple thousand years ago. What he's saying is contentment is not something that is just beyond your reach that you need to get or achieve or accomplish. It's something that we learn. It's a posture, an attitude of our heart where we say, Jesus, my soul is so satisfied in you that even if I don't have everything I want. Even if my life isn't just the way that I want it to be, my satisfaction 
is in you. You've given me what I have to work with. You know, all of us in this room, we, God's given us different things, right? That, that we have different jobs, different levels of income, different levels of attractiveness, different levels of, of vacation and what we do. And, you know, our lives look different. And, and the thing to, to press into contentment is to not look around at everybody else. It's to look at Jesus and say, God, the things that you've given to me, I want to be grateful for that. And I want to press toward my soul being satisfied with you. It's something that we learn. And honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't come you know, so much by, by adding more things to our life. There was a um, 17th century English Puritan preacher named Jeremiah Burroughs. And he has this nugget of wisdom. He said, a Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition, but by way of subtraction. So really, if you want to get real about contentment in your life, the way isn't to go, okay, how do I, how do I get more? To, it's really to go, if I'm going to learn this, how can I subtract things out of my life to make to give myself the opportunity to sink my heart even deeper into Jesus. Now, there's a, there's a word here that I want to point out when Paul is talking about what we have to learn, and it's an incredibly significant word. You know, he says, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance, and then he says one more time, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. That word secret is hugely significant. It, it is, uh, in the Greek word, it's the word mueo, and it, and it means to initiate into secret knowledge. And see, at that point, at that time in history, in the Mediterranean world, there was all of these kind of mystery religions, these kind of secret cults that you were initiated in. You, no, no one knew what, you didn't know what they were doing until you got initiated into these kind of mystery religions. And that's what this word means. It's kind of a technical Greek word, meaning that, that you get to be in the inside, you know, in the know about this kind of secret thing, right? And, and I want to point out to you that this is the only instance in the entire Bible where this word is used. And there's a reason for that. Because the Christian scriptures are not a secret mystery religion. Okay? The, the, the Christian faith is not this secret, like a lot of religions, a lot of, you know, kind of other faiths, they're, they're based on private uh, kind of spiritual experience by somebody. Somebody goes into a cave, somebody goes off in the woods somewhere, they have this experience with God that nobody else has access to, and then they come out and they say, hey everybody, I had an experience with God, trust me. And I'm going to write some things down and I'm going to tell you, but, but your job is to trust that I had an experience with God. Okay? That, that is private spiritual experience. The Christian scriptures are based off of publicly accessible knowledge. Jesus taught and did miracles and died on a cross and was resurrected in incredibly public ways. This was, he, he didn't get resurrected in front of like, you know, one or two people. The scriptures say he, he, his resurrection appeared to, to hundreds of people. 
that he had multiple uh, you know, experiences of, of appearing to people all over the place. When he healed people, crowds were gathered. Thousands of people were gathered around Jesus to watch him. It's his popularity, you know, everybody wanted to come out and see what, what amazing things Jesus was doing. Everybody got to, everybody got to hear his teaching. See, the, 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 the basics of the Christian faith are not this kind of specialized private knowledge, and they're not a secret. They're open, they're, they're public for everybody to be able to see and to hear. But, Paul says, there is one secret. There is one secret that, that you can be a follower of Jesus, you can be trusting in God and giving your life to Jesus and, and following after God. You can do that for decades and you cannot have been initiated into the secret knowledge of the Christian faith. And the secret of the Christian faith is about contentment. The only way that you learn it you can't learn it on day one. You can't, you can't hear the gospel of Jesus preached and then, and then learn the secret of contentment right in that moment. The only way that we learn the secret of contentment is in the highs and the lows of life. It is walking with Jesus through the challenges, the, the tragedies, the, you know, wonderful things that happen, the celebrations, all of kind of the the highs and lows, the hardships, the challenges, all of it of life, and walking, pressing into Jesus along the way that we discover, we learn this attitude of heart of, of this counterintuitive thing called contentment, of how to be satisfied in Jesus even when we're not satisfied with other things in our lives. The second thing that, that he says uh, here about, about contentment is that contentment is something internal, it's not external, okay? It's something internal that's happening inside of us. So he describes all of the circumstances around him, right? He goes, he goes uh, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, any circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be well-fed. I know what it is to be hungry, okay? And in, in plenty and in want, whatever the circumstances are around me, it doesn't matter because contentment is not about external circumstances. Contentment is about internal attitude in my heart with Jesus. Now, I'm not sure which one's more challenging to learn contentment in, honestly, uh, in, a, in a time of need or in a time of plenty. I think the more obvious one is in times of need, when life isn't going the way we want it to, when we've experienced tragedy or hardship or we have some financial need or something isn't going right in our life and we're crying out to God and, and things aren't changing. And, and it's in that moment that it's, it's pretty obvious that, that those times are challenging. I want to point out to you something here about Paul is that this is not a guy that, that uh, you, know, you know, hasn't dealt with hard things in his life. You know, he gives us in 2 Corinthians 11 this litany of times when he was beaten and shipwrecked and left in open sea overnight and almost killed. And I mean, this guy's been through the gamut of challenges in his life. And he's not then writing this from some Mediterranean villa, looking back on his life and going, hey, I had some hard things happen. And now let me just tell you about contentment. He's writing Philippians. Most scholars think, it, well, for sure he's writing from prison. And it's probably the last time he's in prison before he's executed. So he's in, he's in a Roman jail cell writing this letter about how content he is right before he's headed off to be executed. And he's saying, for, for me, I've learned how to be content. So it's a, it's, a, it's a model, it's an inspiration that it actually is possible for those of us that are going through challenges, that are going through difficulties in our life, uh, that that it is possible to press into Jesus and press into contentment 
when we're in areas of need, but it also really is a challenge when we might be experiencing abundance. Times when things are going well, when we have a lot, you know, going on in our life and, and, you know, everything's going okay, uh, being content in that moment, it also is a challenge. I don't know if you've experienced this one in your life, but, but there's a couple of reasons why contentment is so hard in abundance, okay? One of them, one of them I want to point out comes from a woman named Cynthia Heimel. She's a writer in, in New York City, and she had three friends that ended up getting famous while she was friends with them. And she observed what happened in their life when they kind of made it big and got their dreams fulfilled and got famous. And I want to read you a quote from her. She says, when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. Now, that might be a cynical description of God, okay? She's, she's no follower of Jesus, okay? Uh, but she, it's basically, this would be a secular perspective on Romans chapter 1, where, where it talks about like, okay, sometimes God just goes, okay, it, go for it. You, you want to do whatever you want to do? Go for it and see how that works out for you, right? And then come talk to me. Sometimes God just allows us to get whatever we want so that we discover how empty and hollow it is. Here's how Cynthia uh, Heimel uh, talked about it with with watching this with with her friends. She said, when people become famous, they thought that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing, was going to make everything okay. That it was going to make their lives bearable. That it was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness. It happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The, disillusioned, the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. See, that's the first reason why contentment is such a challenge in abundance. When you get your dream, when you get the job that you ever always wanted, when you get the girl or the you know, boy that you always wanted, and, and you just think, oh, life is like, I've made it. Like the, the thing that I wanted, I got. And then you realize you're still you. Like that it didn't change anything about you. And then that disillusionment can really be difficult to deal with, right? And, but there's a second reason. It's not only that, that it's difficult to find contentment and abundance, but it's also because we start to look around at each other. And if I've gotten something good, all of a sudden I'm not looking at, at the people I used to be looking at. Now I'm looking at a new set of people, the people that are just beyond me. Right? There was this study done at Harvard University where they asked undergraduates, okay, when you get out of school, would you rather have a job that pays $50,000 in a firm where everybody else around you were making $25,000? Or would you rather get a job making $100,000 if everybody around you at your firm were making $200,000? Okay? Which one would you prefer? 56% of those students said, I'd rather take the low-paying job. I'll take a $50,000 pay cut if my coworkers could be making less than me. That, that's just how we work, right? Maybe not, maybe not the Irish, okay? I, this might be a uniquely American, I recognize that, but there is something in us as human beings that like, if we have more, we're, we're like now, we still feel like we don't have enough because somebody else has more than us. Contentment just doesn't come by our external circumstances. It comes because of something inside of us, something internal. And so, okay, so up to this point, though, 
Paul has not significantly departed from a lot of the teaching of his day, but here's the last thing that he leaves us with, is that contentment is something, it's God-dependent, not self-sufficient. The last line that he leaves us with here uh, really points us to, this isn't just him regurgitating uh, a lot of the philosophical teaching of the day, because up until this point, this was a very popular idea, okay? There were a lot of philosophers that talked about kind of the need for, for detachment from circumstances, okay? Guys like uh, Seneca said this, the happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances, okay? So Seneca's like, just deal with your life, okay? Just come to terms with it, reconcile yourself with it. you don't have enough, and that's the way to happiness, okay? Uh, Epictetus said, the wise man is sufficient unto himself for a happy, exist- for a happy existence. So, so as long as you're self-sufficient, as long as you're not dependent on anybody else, you're going to be happy and that's it. So, so Paul, up until this point, Paul hasn't significantly departed from all of that teaching, that basically it's just about come to terms with you don't have everything you want, deal with it, and just, you know, pull yourself up and, and deal with your own life, okay? But then... He gives us this line at the end that shows us that what he's talking about is something completely different. He says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That he's saying the only way that he can be content when he's floating out in the Mediterranean overnight trying to swim, hold on to something, right? The only way he can be content in that kind of circumstance is through the power and the strength of Jesus. It's not because he's just so strong and he's just so, you know, able to control his attitude and his heart and all. It's because he's so dependent on Jesus. That really is the key. That's the key to the, the whole secret of contentment is dependency on Jesus, of leaning into Jesus for his strength. Now, now I want, you know, I can't preach this text without taking a shot at the misunderstanding of this text, and I have no idea if, if Bible translations that you read here uh, make this mistake, but in the U.S., lots of Bible translations translate this text, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And a lot of people glatch onto that phrase and they use it as a way to go, hey, I'm starting a new business and I'm just so confident everything's going to be great because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God's just going to bless it. You know, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, do this thing I want to do. I can do all things. You know, it's, it's kind of a peppy, inspirational, like, yeah, God's going to help me and I can accomplish and I can do it, right? Total misreading of the text. Totally wrong, right? The Greek technically can mean either thing. It can mean I can do all this, or it can mean I can do all things. The, the Greek word can mean that. But the context, anytime you, you translate Greek text, you have to talk about the context of what's he's. So Paul has just said, look, look, I, I have been through every kind of circumstance in my life. I've been content, whatever the circumstances, I've been starving and I've had plenty. I've been in need. I've, I've been in want. I've, I've been all over the map and I can do all of that. How? Through him who gives me strength. That is the opposite of saying, I can do everything because God's going to bless it, right? Paul's going, no, God is not going to bless everything. God's going to make you go through shipwrecks and be beaten and be imprisoned and go through hard things in your life. But it's okay because you can have strength through Jesus to endure what you have to endure. And you can actually have contentment no matter what life is throwing at you. Sorry, I just have to make that point so that you don't think that this text says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No, you can do everything that you're going through in your life. You can go through it. 
because of Jesus and his strength. If you, if you latch on to Jesus, if you, if you say, Jesus, I want my soul to be so satisfied in you, Jesus is, is going to meet you. He's going to give you strength to find contentment in any and every circumstance of life. Could we stand up together? I want to I just take an opportunity for prayer here. Could we just close our eyes together? And, and I want to invite some of you to simply put a hand in the air, to reach out toward God if you want to pray with me and, and really reach toward contentment. You know, whether, whether you, you already have a relationship with Jesus or, or, or not, if you're just discovering faith, uh, this is just a moment to kind of reach out toward God and say, I, I'm going through something. I'm, there, there's some challenges in my life or maybe there, there's been, you know, incredible blessing in your life and you still are feeling the gnawing ache of emptiness in your heart. I, I want to invite you to reach out toward Jesus. For us to say, Jesus, I want my soul to be satisfied in you. If you want to pray that, if you want to ask that, put it, just put a hand in the air with me and let's reach out for God together and pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want our soul to be satisfied in you. We want to reach out for you, God. We, we want to be strengthened, whatever the circumstances of our life, whatever we're going through, whatever the challenges or the hardships or the, the, the celebrations and the blessings, whatever's going on in our life, God, we, we want to be strengthened by you. We don't want to be defined by our circumstances. We want to be defined by our, by our sonship and our daughtership of our Father in heaven. We want, to, we want to have the Spirit of God working inside of our life. We want to have the satisfaction in our soul that is, that is attached onto Jesus and Jesus alone. So I pray. I just welcome you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would come. I pray that you would just dig this somewhere deep. I pray it would go deeper than just something we hear at church and then go back into life and be overwhelmed by everything. I I pray, God, that that you would do something in our heart of, of trust in you, of soul fulfillment and satisfaction in you, that you would reorient the eyes of our heart to focus on you and not all of the other things around us in our life. And strengthen us, God. Strengthen us to walk through whatever road you have for us, whatever challenges you have for us, God. Strengthen us to be able to walk as followers of you with with the grace and the maturity and the contentment that Paul is talking about here. Give us that grace of contentment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.